The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Pastoralia on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Alexander Krasik, and I am joined by our guest, Father Stephen McKenna of St. Gertrude the Great in Westchester, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Father. Thank you, Alexander. So today we're going to be concluding our, our little series on COVID with the spiritual consequences of COVID. So when we have a big crisis like this, and, you know, we've talked about and pointed out how you know, this is a made-up thing and whatnot, but even a made-up thing, it still has many, many features, you know, that a real one would have. So either way, how should we view a big thing like this or even smaller crises in our lives? What's the Catholic viewpoint and how should we handle these things, Father? Well, you know, I think one of the, the most important thing, well, I think there's several aspects to that uh, that type of mentality towards when we see, you know, crises, as it were, whether they are true crises in life, or they are 100%, you know, figments of our imagination, or there's something in between, you know, that, um, you know, here we have, you know, with COVID-19, we have something that is 100% um, fabricated. What I mean by that, obviously, is not that that there isn't a virus out there, but rather that we have blown it out of the proportion of a flu to some sort of horrible monster. I mean, and by we, I mean society and talking heads and the powers that be. They've made it into a monster. They've made it into a globe stopper. And they've made it into the scariest thing since, uh, you know, scarier than both world wars or type of type of reality in people's minds but you're right it is still a crisis for us as catholic why well not because of the virus really because we've dealt with flus our entire life and people get sick and yeah even if you get sick it's a minor little crisis for you and you know we note about the the sort of spiritual offering uh, of that back to our lord and offering up for holy souls in purgatory or or offering it for certain prayerful intentions and whatever that our lord uses that that suffering that we have when we get sick that's a normal kind of thing for us to strive after as spiritual men because that's the, the higher plane um you know it's the you know, if prayer is lifting the heart, mind, and soul to God, well, sacrifice is uniting that heart, mind, and soul with body as well and, and lifting it up to God. So, obviously, it's something very desirable and, and pleasing in the eyes of our Lord. When it comes to, to what we are seeing, our crises, our chastisement for this is what we see happening to our society 
the destruction of family and and structure and order and law and and uh, liberty and all of these things that we see going on around us, the the the, the ability to support a family, etc. All of that and so much more. That is the the real crisis that we face. This it is that global reset, that great reset that we talk about. You know that the World Economic Forum and others have have been promoting to do and are now executing, and that's our true chastisement. But our mindset really shouldn't change in that regard because it is something that is allowed by God to happen and is punishment for the wickedness of man. You know, I, you know, I truly. I believe that what we are seeing take place is the consequences of the failure for the consecration of Russia from Fatima. You know that uh, mm-hmm. that Russia that uh, you know that if it wasn't done, that the errors of Russia would spread, um, and that's what we're seeing. We are seeing the spread of of global socialism of of nanny states of destruction of liberties of destruction of religion uh, marxist socialism communism those ideals being pressed forward the control of the narrative and the destruction and distortion of of truth in the in the news and in control of what you can think and what you can say and what you can do All, you know those are the errors of the, of the soviet union of the errors of russia that our lady had promised, and uh, it, you know, it doesn't always fly under the same title or the same flag per se, but it is the same ideology. Um, and so, I think that is the consequence of that, in tune with the consequences of the wickedness of man. You know, that we look around the society, it has become a largely godless society. It has become a largely, um, uh, you know, a society that commits. You know, wide swaths of crimes against the natural law. That uh, you know, we are a country that kills one and a half million babies a year by way of abortion. That's just the United States, let alone the rest of the world. We are, you know, a country that legalizes and lauds sodom, that legalizes and lauds mental disorders, which promote you know various genders changes and you know whatever i mean like we are a society that lauds and praises debauchery essentially are there some standards and norms that still exist yes there are but but they are being stripped away slowly but surely or more quickly than we probably would like to see that's for sure and i think that this is the the ultimate sort of like we are seeing now the punishment for a society gone so contrary to God. And so it's understanding it in that light that we it is a chastisement. It is something that we deserve. It is something that um, that we must bear and, and, and suffer through. And that in God's providence is being allowed because this is what is necessary to have the most souls possible of any scenario go to heaven you know that that it will ultimately will you know it will ultimately be the cause of the conversion of 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 souls and the salvation 
of souls because they have to suffer or they have to make a choice between the good and the evil and it becomes more apparent and it stands out you know the the, the light shines brightest in the dark you know and so it's mm-hmm. uh and so these things you know god knowing all things including every possible outcome of every decision possible knows that this type of chastisement is what's necessary for the greatest number of souls during these times to be saved and so he allows it to happen and for our part we need to look at it as that as the chastisement as a as a punishment for sin um but at the same time we need to recognize that it is something being promoted by by wicked men for evil aims and we can't stand for it either so we must stand up against it we must fight against it because it is evil you know that if the allowance of evil is to make the light shine brighter well it's you know we are the children of the light we we must stand strong we must stand boldly and not allow these things to pass without our protest against them um because of the fact that uh you know this is that's how we we sanctify ourselves by doing the virtuous thing in those in the difficulty the you know and that's you know that's our chance to to really strengthen our souls save our souls um with that as the truth children of the light and so just because god allows it to happen doesn't mean that we should not fight against it it also doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for mercy pray for alleviation pray for an end to it pray for a deliverance from it all of those things we we do not know god's providence's plan and all of this but we do know that god hears every single one of our prayers we do see the examples of the of the ideas of of places and peoples being saved by by the intercessory prayers made on behalf of of the people look at nineveh you know that that God was going to destroy the entire city mm-hmm. and everybody did penance uh, on sackcloth and ashes and God spared the city in the end. You know, look at uh, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, like God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah had he found 10 faithful, you know. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And so like, you know, the, the small amount that is needed for success for God's mercy is, is you know, vastly disproportionate to the evil that is done. Um, and, and so we should pray for those things because those are goods. Those are, are good things. But we should also, you know, we should pray. We should pray earnestly. We should pray fervently and frequently for those things. We should pray harder now than we ever have in our lifetimes because that is what is going to be our ticket through it. And then lastly, I think the importance of it is the maintaining. And this is probably the the real hardest part in it all is maintaining that hope. You know, mm-hmm. everything is is very dark. Everything is very confusing and chaotic and sad to see. And you know, we see it all being destroyed, and it's easy to get sort of melancholic about it and 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 depressed about it. And that's not what we want to have happen. We want to be hopeful in it that that we do know God's going to use it for good hopeful that god will see us through whatever trials may come our way that he'll strengthen our souls to handle whatever may be you know coming down the pike you know hopeful that our prayers will be answered you know that that maintaining of hope and that maintaining of a peace 
of soul, you know, because we know that God is ultimately in charge of it all. So those feelings of anxiety that I think none of us are immune to, that we, we, if we hear enough news or we see enough going on around us, we can feel that start to build up inside us. We should make conscious efforts to keep that at a minimal. We need to make conscious efforts to maintain a peace of soul. We're letting it bottle us up. If we're letting it affect our mood, if we're letting it affect our disposition and affect our actions and affect our speech and affect whether we can be charitable, how we're charitable and things like that, and, and our demeanor, if we al allow these things to affect that, then it is allowing that disturbance to, to really bother our and disturb the peace of soul. And what it ultimately that ultimately means is that we're allowing that that doubt of the providence of God to creep in, in in little ways. You know that being really bothered by something is almost akin to that "woe is me, why is you know why me, why now" type of thing. And it's like, no, that's not the the Catholic attitude. The Catholic attitude is this is the situation that that has arisen. And I, as a Catholic, can only do what I can do to maximize my following of virtue and sanctifying myself during this time and to do what I can for others as well. And, you know, it's whatever may come, whether it be blessing or hardship, you know, we return thanks to, to God for, for it and bless the Lord, you know. Uh, and so that's, that's a really difficult thing to do. But, and it takes like a, a I don't mean it as like a, a a platitude. I mean it as that has to be a daily effort to be made, a conscious effort to be made to maintain peace of soul. I mean, it means turning, turn off the news, turn off the radio, talk radio, you know, stay away from all the talking heads out there, stay away from dwelling on the situation, you know, and do do as much as you can that would be normal in life you know do, do you know have you know have times of, of enjoyment you know it's a nice day go for a walk go do something fun do you have uh, you know get together with family or friends you know smile laugh go to church you know have you know celebrations you know birthdays whatever because that's part of being normal there as much as we can do as much as we can get away with during these times we must do that we have to maintain that peace of soul because in that piece of soul, it maintains a clarity of thought, and in that piece of soul, it helps maintain that virtue of hope um, in all things being entrusted to God. And, you know, what are you going to learn from Fox News? Mm -hmm. What are you going to learn from CNN? What are you going to learn from talk radio? Nothing. Nothing worthwhile. You know, if there's something important enough this is what I've learned over this 10-month period of time. If there's something important enough, you will find out about it. You know, you're not going to not know who won the election. You're not going right. to not know um, whether or not the stores are locked down or not. You know, you, you're going to find out about those things. You don't need to hear it reported again and again and again on nauseam. You know, it was, it was funny. I was, I was talking to one of the people in one of the missions, and the guy said, I have, a, I have a new game that I play with myself that uh, on my way to work, I turn on the Fox News station 
on the radio when I first get in the truck. And at the first mention that I hear of vaccine, I turn it off and then do some prayers. And then you said to me, I made it 10 seconds this morning. (laughs) 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 So, so, you know, like that idea that is Mm -hmm. the constant rhetoric from these people and they are not like these, none of these people are altruistic, you know, it's just propaganda and, and it just serves to, to, to cause more disturbance. So, you know, you, you know, get, go to your church, you know, pray when you can there, go to extra masses, you know, do your rosary, do your prayers, find devotions, etc. And, you know, and then beyond that, keep the stuff out of your life as much as possible. You know, the, uh, that peace of soul is, is really and truly so, so important for for all that's going on now and then it's going to see you through you need to try to maintain it as much as you can because that is what's going to help see you through the various hardships that have been coming our way for quite a while now yeah it's that's good advice i mean i remember even before this i think it was a father faber book he talks about the news in general just being a um a disturber of your of your inner peace and holy recollection and whatnot so especially now it's important to just turn it off yeah i sort of practiced that for a long time before these days too that you know people would always talk about listening to talk radio a lot you know oh i was listening to rush limbaugh or listening to sean hanley whatever and i would start to like listen to some of these people a little bit you know before i was a priest or even at the beginning of my priesthood a little bit mostly before i was a priest and I found myself getting angry and you know, I listen to talk radio and I get angry at stuff and it's mm-hmm. like, I'm angry at like quote unquote, the other team as it were, because mm-hmm. that's all we're left with in the world of politics. When we believe that that's the reality of the world is that you have like men with white hats and men with black hats and those on the left, they're the bad guys. And we on the right, we're the good guys. And it's like, no, that's not reality at all. And yeah. there, and the, it is this urging on of like, like this, this created anger constant, you know, you don't turn those things on and find like just a bunch of good news. Like, Hey, well, you know, we all got along today and everybody, you know, you know, everybody went to work and made money and people are already happy. And, you know, we had a bunch of compromises in Congress that worked to get to something in the middle ground. and. Like that, you've never heard a radio program that sounded like that. And when you realize that, it's like, no, why? What are they doing? It's like any type of entertainment. They know that by playing on your passion, by getting you angry, by getting you frustrated, you will listen more. And you listening more means more money in their pockets. And so that's what they do. And all it does serve to do is, is make you a, a more angry person and disturb your soul and not allow you to have that peace and take strip away certain aspects of, of charity and, and, and everything like that. You know, you do not walk away from, from a radio program going, boy, I feel, uh, I feel, you know, I feel, I feel like that was like a worthwhile usage of my life. I feel enlightened. I feel calm and, and re- recollected and, doesn't happen so you know so so i've been i've been doing this myself avoiding that stuff you know to certain extents um 
you know, for a number of years, just because it was like, okay, I'm just getting angry and I don't like being angry. So, um, mm-hmm. so I'm just going to move on from that. Uh, and so when this whole COVID thing hit, you know, at the beginning, you wanted to pay attention to a lot of stuff. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, you know, paying attention to this stuff constantly is not doing any good. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I need to maintain that, that, that piece of soul. That's so important. It's like the one thing that the bad guys cannot take away from you if you do not let them. No matter what they do to you or what they do to you, to to take away from you, know, like to to hurt you or to take away from you or strip you of, you know, if you maintain a piece of soul and that trust in God, like they cannot harm you because that's that's the greatest thing on earth that we could have. That's our salvation. That's the hope in the higher the higher reality of the things of heaven. That you know this will all go away, but you know eternities for eternity. And so, you know, all right, whatever. Like, you know, if things get hard here, they get hard here. And but um, preparing myself to get to heaven. So that's that's what we do. And the more I can keep that mentality and that 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 focus on just the, the what is truly important, then um, and keep that piece of soul, then the much better off I'll be. And so that is a real key to what Catholics should be doing and acting like in, during this time. So when this all started, one of the, the big questions was obedience, obedience to the government, what they're mandating and whatnot, you know, oh, we have to obey, we have to shut down the churches, you know, what was a big thing. And you mentioned St. Gertrude's received some flack for that, for remaining open. So can you walk us through what, what are the principles of obedience when it comes to secular authority because a lot of people think this the government says something you have to do it and that's that's not necessarily the case here that that you have to obey them in every single thing what have you yeah i mean i i think it should be stated that the default position for a catholic should be to be a law-abiding citizen we should be moral upstanding people because the laws of the land that is that that law and order is, is crucial for the functioning of society. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very important. Um, so as a default position, ours should be that, but it cannot be a blind obedience and it cannot be an irrational ob- obedience to that. I, I think if you talk to Catholics, most of them understand, well, I can't be obedient to the government if it's a sin. But unless it's a sin, then I should follow along with what the laws tell me. But, and when asked why, they'll say, well, it's part of the fourth commandment, you know, that I have this obedience like I would to a parent to, to follow the lawful authority that is governing me. The problem with that is that it is an oversimplification of it, and it allows great abuse to take place without any kind of um, check in reality to it. And it's not the Catholic position. You know, yes, it's the default position. When things are, are normal and things are like, you know, a law is put into place, it doesn't seem off in any way, shape, or form, and you just kind of want to not do it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the thing is, like, you should, you, you should probably follow that law. Uh, but liken it to a child in its obedience to a parent. Well, 
that's not fair. That's not that's not a true uh, placement and 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 understanding of where it should be, because you you have no greater authority in your life than your parents, other than God. God is the highest authority. Then from God come to, down to your parents. And, you know, that is the most localized government that you can have in your life is your parents. So if your highest authority after God is going to be your own parents, then they would have the strictest level of obedience owed to them. So your parents in this situation, from the age of zero to the age of 21, as it's laid out to us, um, that those living at home during that time period, you know, are owed strict obedience to their parents. If they tell them to do something, it's not simple, you know, that they have to follow through with it. So if your parents tell you your curfew is nine o'clock, you have to be home by nine. And if to do, to fail to do so for, without any kind of justifying rationale or extenuating circumstances would be disobedience. It would be sinful, um, you know, to, to some extent. However, there is that delineation there that once somebody becomes in the eyes of the church as an adult, either by moving out um, or by by reaching an age of major, of like a super majority type of thing, where in, the, in which case like the twenty one then that strict obedience is no longer owed to their parents. But rather, if they're still living under the, ho- the roof of their parents, obedience to the rules of the house to maintain the proper order and, and operation of the home is necessary. So if, they, if you're living at home and you're 23 years old and you know, your, your father tells you, um, you know, every two weeks you got to mow the lawn, and uh, you're in charge of you know these chores here, and you have to do them. You know, this is part of the agreement for you living here is you have to do X, Y, and Z. Well, then you have to do that so long as you live there because that's for the proper operation of of the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they were to say that, you know, if they were to um, and there's a, an aspect, you know, obviously an aspect to the fourth commandment of honor too. That that if a, there's a reasonable request with no reasonable reason not to follow it, then you should do it because they are your parents and you should respect them and want to help them. So if they ask you to take out the trash, you know, it may not be on your chore list, but it is a reasonable request asked of you who is supposed to honor and respect your parents and to want to be helpful in, in those ways. So you would just, you go and you do that. But if there's, if there's a rule that, you know, doesn't disrupt the, the order of the house and doesn't disturb, you know, go into the realm of uh, dishonoring your parents or, or treating them poorly or something like that, then they don't bind. Uh, any longer once you've each reached that age. Why? Because you're a fully functional adult. You have a mind that is rational and can think and choose for itself and needs to become independent. And so if you are at home, let's use the curfew idea again, mm-hmm. right? You're 23 years old and your father tells you, you need to be home by nine. And you say, well, 
that everybody's going out, you know, the sh- to a show. It's the show's at eight. There's no way to be home at night. No, your curfew is nine. You have to, you have to come home at nine. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no like real reason you have to follow that because you know that is some that is a type of obedience that's owed when you're a minor, but not as as of of the age of majority. And so now it's, you know, you saying, oh, I don't like I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions. You know, if he says, if you come home, you have to be home by nine o'clock because, you know, I have to be up at, for work at three in the morning. And when you come home, the dogs go ballistic and it'll wake me up and I have a real hard time falling back asleep again. Now it crosses over into like a order of the house because, you know, his own well-being and sleep and everything is dependent on it. But if it's mm-hmm. just a reason to to do it because, you know, this is what I've decided is, is, is a good idea, that's no longer binding on you under sin. Now, you can make the argument of saying, well, you know, you're, you're living under the house and it'd be better for you to, to follow along than not because, you know, the, you know this is sort of the rules that he's making and you don't want to get into an argument unnecessarily with your father, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, you can make those claims as to why you might follow through with it, but to be a strictly obligatory thing, then, you know, that's not, that's a different thing to something that you would have to, um, to have to confess, you know, that's a, that's a different thing. And so, so that's that, that understanding of that, and if we think of our parents as the most localized and most authoritative earthly authority that we have, then it only loosens up further out you go. So when we get to a government level, uh, whether it be state or federal level, now these things, yes, is a lawful authority. We do have a duty to follow law, laws that are, are binding on conscience, but there's things to take into consideration with those in order for it be something that is binding on conscience, i.e. something that disobeying would be unlawful, uh, would be disobeying the the law would be sinful. That's what I mean by if it binds on conscience. So St. Thomas Aquinas talks about these things that first, uh, you know, one of the important distinctions that he makes that we have to understand is that is a law just or unjust mm-hmm. because if a law is just then we should be following it. if a law is unjust then we don't have to be following it and and he lays out what is necessary for just laws so there's some basic things that as man as a rational man i can look at and i can make a determining factor in whether or not it's something i need to obey so is it the number one point is is it for the common good and then two is does it come from the lawgiver the the lawful authority to institute that law itself next is does the law not exceed the power given to the lawgiver and then the last point does the burden that is put upon the subjects by a law for the common good exceed the proportion of the common good. And so when we look at that and we 
taken into the context of the things that are being pushed now. So let's just use, for example, the mask laws, right? Mm-hmm. Is the mask law, if your state tells you, you know, you are required to wear a mask in public places, is that a just law? So let's look at it. Is it for the common good? Well, you can easily make the argument that the mask law, that, you know, that most of the science points to the fact that, that, those masks, especially the cloth masks and the, you know, whatever, you know, that they right. do basically nothing in the stop of the spread of a virus by by uh, aerosol methods, meaning the, the the breathing in and out of your breath. That 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 those masks do essentially nothing due to the fact that that the size of the virus that's flying out of your mouth is is so mind so small. That it's almost impossible to be caught in the the weave of the wet, the mask, which is so much bigger. You know, you, you, we've kind of you know, like I've heard people talk about the the sort of analogy of a mosquito getting caught by a pit, by a chain link fence. You know, what I mean, like I I don't <laughs> yeah. know if the scale is up, is appropriate or not, but but that idea that that the weave is so much coarser. Than, than the size of, of a virus, which is extremely, extremely small. And, uh, you know, it uses, you know, that, that it, it, it's not going to get caught by these things. And again, it, you know, there's, there's actually a lot of research out there, not just from now, but from years and years past, too, that all points to the same thing. You're not going to wear, don't wear these masks because, you know, they don't really do anything. Um, you know, they've done studies about, you know, one of the things that I'm, I hear about, like, you know, when you try to not wear the mask, and I've had people sort of attack me on it, I didn't know until a little later on, but, you know, they say, well, you know, I hope your surgeon wears a mask. Like, I've had people say that to me, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and and the funny thing is there's, there's actually been scientific studies done on the benefits of surgeons wearing surgical masks, and there are none. Huh? So, you know, like... Like so, they did. They've done extensive studies about surgeons wearing masks versus surgeons who don't wear masks um, in the operating theater, and whether it prevents infection. And there was no higher rate of infection amongst those patients that were serviced by surgeons not wearing masks than those who were wearing masks. Well, why? Because of the fact that any kind of viral or even bacterial load is going to get through the mask, especially when you're talking about a surgery, you're spending a prolonged period of time there around them. The purpose of the mask is merely to prevent foreign, uh, you know, particles from, from potentially causing, uh, you know, infection. So if your surgeon were to have eaten a tuna fish sandwich and then were to, you know, have some stuck between his teeth and he's, you know, he goes, he kind of like, you know, Daffy Ducks is like, you know, and then, you know, spits <laughs> all over the open wounds of the, of the person on the table and raining down spittle and tuna fish sandwich in their innards. Well, yeah, now that's a higher risk of infection and the mask will certainly catch that, you know, um, you know, or the inadvertent sneeze that sneaks up or a cough mm-hmm. that sneaks up, you know, where you're actually expelling some 
something from your mouth, not more than just breath, you know, warm, moist air that, you know, like the, they talk about those droplets and everything like that. Just because your breath has moisture in it and has those, these droplets does not mean that that's going to be caught by your, your mask, you know, you know, case in point on a cold day, go outside, wear your mask and you'll still see your breath. You know, that'll tell mm-hmm. you yeah. that, that fits through. Or, case of point, wear your mask into a bakery and you'll smell bread being baked. Why? Because the particles of bread floating through the air are getting through or around the mask. And those particles are much larger, exponentially larger than any kind of virus. So, so the argument could be made that wearing a mask is not for the common good, or at least ineffective. But when you couple that with the fact that it is forced upon people and can do actual, and some people can cause, if especially if it's a prolonged wearing of the mask, can cause harm to somebody's health, or at the very least is a stripping of a liberty that people should have for themselves the right to, to to govern what they wear and how well they breathe and anything like that and you you couple that with like the minimal to null effectiveness of the mask you can make the argument very pretty easily that it's not a law that is made for the actual common good because the scientists know that it doesn't procure this good they know that. Mm-hmm. And so, so the law, if they really listen to the science, is not actually going to do any prevention of real measurable infection rates. So it can only be said that it's done for an alternative purpose, and that alternative purpose, of course, is control. And so, therefore, the argument easily can be made that it is contrary to the common good, which immediately puts it into the unjust category. But let's continue on with that. Does it come from a lawgiver? Well, most of these mandates are being made by a governor. A governor is not part of the legislative branch of government. So the fact that they are part of the executive branch of government, their job is to execute the laws that are passed on from the, the legislative branches, to sign them into being and to, to make them reality once the legislator has drawn them up. But they're bypassing the legislative branch in most of these cases and just making executive orders and you know, wide-stepping you know, the, that, that reality. So does it come from a lawful, mm-hmm. law, valid lawgiver? It's questionable because the other side of that coin is, well, the legislative branches have given the authority to the executor, which is true. They have written into law these exceptions to the need to go through the legislative branch. They're being, you know, abused, but they're, they are technically in existence, which of course brings us to the third point. Does it exceed their power? I think that's easy to point out that it does exceed their power as governor. You know, it might be the governor's ability to say, okay, we've had, you know, the Wuhan flu, the, the COVID-19 has come rushing into our state and now our hospitals are being overwhelmed. And I'm going to take executive action to get something done right away that we're going to, you know, close down businesses for a week or two just to, to not overwhelm our hospital. From a theoretical standpoint, that could potentially be within the realm of like what the legislative branch intended by passing these laws 
and to give power to the governor. But we are 10 months on and it's still being based off of executive decisions. All checks and balances have been removed. These are things that no longer, these are things truly exceeding the power of the governor. And so, you know, the mask order, you know, yeah, you can make the argument in the first couple of weeks, like, this is just a, you know, preventative measure that I'm taking to try to, like, get a better grasp on these things and get it under control, and we'll revisit it later, and we'll do whatever. So the fact that we're now months and months and months on, and they just keep extending it out, no, that's an abuse beyond, it exceeds the power that they're given by their position, and it's abuse of power. And then lastly, is the burden put on subjects? Does it exceed the portion of the common good? So, and again, you know, like we talked about before, that there is minimal good that can come from wearing masks. There is also potential harm that can come from that. I can, you know, I can speak from just flying on airplanes that, you know, wearing a mask for a couple hours on an airplane leads to a headache. I mean, I will get a headache from from doing that. Uh, it's uncomfortable and it's not not pleasant. And you know, and it's, you know, the very beginning stages of that, like, sort of, like, hypoxia. It also deteriorates your, your immune system, you know, doing so by breathing in more carbon dioxide and limit and displacing more oxygen uh, in, in that restriction of breathing. Doing that for a prolonged period of time, it actually weakens your immune system. So, like, we're doing the things that are contrary to the common good, and then, you know, so many other aspects to it, too. So the, for a great burden, the burden of having to be subject to have to do these things constantly for unending periods of time is a, you know, that stripping of liberty that belongs to us is not proportionate to the good coming out for the common good. So really, even just the simplicity of the mask idea in all four categories can easily be pointed to at least saying that, the, that this law is not a just law. And if you want to grant one or two of them, well, it needs all four of them. And mm -hmm. if you can produce all four of them, then you can honestly say that this law is not truly just. And when that's the case, it no longer binds on conscience. And when it doesn't bind on conscience, then we're not obliged to follow it. We may follow it if it's not sinful. And that's the argument, you know, that can you, like, is it sinful to wear a mask? No, it's not. So you may do so. Like, I have to wear a mask to fly on an airplane. So, you know, I wear a mask on the airplane. But I also take the mask off for as long as possible on an airplane. And, you know, uh, and I don't wear it to stores and I don't wear it to, to, you know, all these different places. I didn't wear it when I went and voted in November, even though I was walking past a bunch of cops and into a government <laughs> building crowded with people. Nobody said anything. I voted without it on, um, you know, all of those things. Because why? Because it's not it's not something that is is binding on my conscience. So I don't blink an eye at, at, at shirking it at every possibility that I have. When I can't avoid it, then I can't avoid it. But but if I can, I, I try to because you know that's I I know it is not wrong to resist that law. Um, and then when we talk about the things that we had in the, the previous episodes, you know that you know about really what the agenda is, I start to realize that no, it's it's actually you know it's actually virtuous in a way to 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 resist 
this, you know, to not let this vast overhaul of society go unchecked. So, so there's that part of the law. The second part that's also under, you know, important to understand that also is in the ways of these laws is the difference between penal and moral laws in their binding on conscience. And so, um, you know, the, that distinction can be shown that there are laws that are purely penal laws, you know, that, that you have to do follow this rule or else you get a penalty for it. So, um, speed limit is the easiest one to point to, you know, if a speed limit, you know, is 65 miles an hour on a highway, that's just an arbitrary number. And so is there anything morally wrong with doing 70 miles an hour in general? No, of course not. Is there anything morally wrong with doing 75 miles an hour? Of course not. Right. So, um, that's these are just arbitrary numbers and so the following of that law is like a mutual agreement you follow this law you won't get a penalty you break this law you will get a penalty it'll be a monetary fine or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and everything like that as long as uh, you know and then there's there's a, a purpose to the law why is there speed limit set at 65 miles an hour it's to you know, it's an estimation that, all right, 65 seems to be a very safe, reasonable speed on this type of road that is manageable. And that if you follow that and pay attention and do all these things, then, you know, there's a reasonable expectation of safety that, that can be maintained in order to, to the cars driving and everything like that. So when we look at that, we can say that, you know, that, so there's like this aspect of the law that, so it's, it's a penal law. It is on, it is not, you know, a moral law would be, you know, that, um, that would be something that governs, you know, when in connection with something that's actually truly evil, you know, murder is a moral law. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't, you can't say, well, you know, as long as I'm willing to accept the prison term, if I get caught, you know, I could just go off and kill anybody and not worry about it. Like, no, that's, that governs in the moral realm. You can't just do that. That's got to always be a sin. Um, but the penal law, like there's nothing sinful about the action itself. And so it's just a matter of, are you willing to accept the, the punishment for it? So now there, it can cross into a moral aspect to it when it violates sort of that, for lack of a better term, the purpose of the law, the spirit of the law, if you will, whatever. So uh, in the speed limit terms, it's like, you know, is it, contrary to that safety of the road everybody's moving at 70 miles an hour and you're doing 70 and a 65 too because traffic's moving at that speed and hey that's just normal no there's nothing sinful about that that's just you know that is safe operation of a vehicle safe conditions doing etc but now you're doing a hundred in a 65 mm-hmm. and you're weaving in and out of cars and everything like that you know, now you can say, well, is there something morally wrong with that? Well, potentially, yes, because if if you're going against the safety and the order of, of the society for no reason, then now you've now you've really disrupted the apple cart. You know, you're you're threatening other people's lives and your own life unnecessarily. You're 
you know, causing chaos amongst other drivers and making them scared and reactionary and things like that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're providing scandal or whatever it is. And so you can make the argument then that, okay, maybe now it's a, it crosses into some moral realm that it's really actually sinful. But the man going 70, you know, doesn't. And that can be illustrated by showing that you could also cross into that moral realm when by not violating the letter of the law. You know, if it's a snowstorm and you're going 60 mile, 65 miles an hour on the highway, are you breaking the letter of the law? No. But if that's like vastly unsafe and irrational to do with the weather conditions that permit itself, and you know, you're weaving it in our cars and just really tempting fate and everything like that, could you be sinning while not violating the law in that sense? Potentially, yeah. If you're, you know, really causing disorder or causing disruption or or threat towards towards those around you so um you know so there's that understanding the penal and the moral law as well and so and the key also to go along with all of these things that if there is a violation of the law it's not out of contempt for the lawgiver we don't just pick laws to violate because well i hate that guy he's a jerk you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah my governor my governor stinks and so you know seeing as he stinks I'm going to break every rule that I can because I just don't like him. You know, that's, uh, that's no good. That's, that's wrong. You know, that, that's sinful. That is, that is sinful. That type of contempt, you know, for, you know, legitimate authority, you know, we, we cannot have that uh, as our, as our governing principle. But when I look at something and I say, okay, this is a penal law or this is a law that is unjust. And, um, and there's a, there's a, you know, this unjust law doesn't bind me. And, you know, moreover, I, I think that the general purpose of this, 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 this you know, I read it to violate this law. Then, then, you know, so, so people should not be afraid of not wearing a mask in public. So, you know, that, that, oh, the, the government told me we have to wear a mask. Well, I'm going to skip wearing the mask. No, you're not sinning in any way, shape or form. You're not doing anything wrong. You know, you, uh, you know, like I said, we should push ourselves a little bit beyond our comfort levels on these things. And so, um, because it is only by enough people starting to, to really start to stand up that, that some change may come back to, to be a benefit for us. Um, you know, when it comes to churches, you know, um, unless completely impossible, you know, churches shouldn't shut themselves down. Because the idea of closing a church for even for a real pandemic, but let alone fake pandemic and i say fake pandemic again not dismissing that there is a technically a virus out there but it is not a pandemic it does not reach the standards of the medical community for a pandemic and in, in its definition this is not this is a flu this is a flu during flu season and um so you know um, the idea that we have to close down churches the people's highest right which is the right to to worship god you know, because mm-hmm. even in, you know, you know, uh, uh, a real pandemic is only, you know, like if the, it should be a, a, a right given to the church to make for that, that the, the, that the, the priest has a right to determine or the bishop has a right to determine whether or not the risk is worth allowing people to come to mass or dismissing them from their obligation to come and, and telling them to stay home. And so when you have a fake pandemic, it's certainly not a, a right that exists for 
the the government to exercise. And so, you know, the priests out there that, you know, unless made to be virtually speaking impossible or or vastly uh, so difficult that it would be so such difficulties that would fall upon you that it's imprudent, they should, you know, if their state or country or whatever tells them to close, they should they should resist it in whatever way, shape, or form they can while being dictated by prudence. Um, you know, that might mean having mass at odd times, you know, that, uh, you know, to avoid detection. So, okay, well, we don't really have mass on a Sunday at, at nine o'clock in the morning and, you know, and uh, we have a nine o'clock and 11.30 masses on a Sunday. Well, you know, now the governor's ordered no more than nine people to show up to mass. Well, that's really stupid and and unjust. And so, therefore, what we're going to do is we're going to have mass, uh, you know, at six a.m. That way, nobody's really looking for people going to church at that point in time. And you know, we're going to do it quietly and everything. But we're not going to just follow this rule of nine people in the church or something like that. That's stupid. Right. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's a, that's a, like a prudent decision that could be made to, to exercise around that or to have, okay, we're going to do four masses today because we need to, we usually have one, but we need to do four in order to stay out of the government's crosshairs because they will come and they will find us and it will shut us down. Like, okay, you know, you can make those type of decisions or, you know, I mean, we all might end up at some point in time, you know, having to go around house to house to offering mass or something like that because, <laughs> you know, the, the way that things are going, it's a, it's a possibility to do. But throwing our hands up and just saying, well, we're just not going to have mass and we're just going to leave people, you know, like, like the Novus Ordo did. You know, we saw that across the entire country, right? And like really yeah. across the world. <laughs> that the Novus Ordo said, well, it's a pandemic. We're closing our doors. That's it. You know, there's no mass this Sunday. There's no mass for the next, you know, till we tell you when, which lasted several months and, and everything like that, you know, no confession, no communions, no mass, no, you know, et cetera. You know, just watch it on your webcam. Well, no, that's, that's not legitimate. Find a solution, find a way around, you know, find where the limit is to, how much you can get away with, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect that most places, if not all places that are governing these things that are, are going to at least give you a warning before they really institute fines and imprisonments and things like that. You know, mm -hmm. they should catch you have a mass on a Sunday and they're going to come up and say, well, Hey, listen, you know, you know, the rule, we don't like it as much as you don't like it. So you got to kind of close it down. Like, okay, well, at least I got my warning. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'll, now I'll figure out a solution, you know, like, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's going to work. And, you know, but, you know, find a way around it. The more people that support that, like, don't feel like you're there going, well, you know, I'll skip mass so some others can go, whatever. No, the more people from the parish that support their priest to be bold, to be strong, to let them know that you are, you're behind them that you back them that we're here to fight with you father that we know that the, that the mass is important and that these people are trying to steal religion away from us and we're not going to let them so you know you you let us know what we can do and we're here to facilitate you and having that happen if we're gonna have to show up at 6 a.m we're gonna be there 
you know, if we're going to, you know, if it's going to have to be, we're going to have, you know, to limit it to, you know, a certain percentage of people that are allowed into the, to the church because they're going around actively checking churches well then <laughs> you let us know because you're gonna have to say a lot of masses that day because you're gonna have to, to see all of us that day you know you're, you're we're gonna you know uh, we're gonna come in and you know and priest should be there you know okay once everybody gets into to the church hey we're locking the doors Nobody should be wearing a mask. You're not forced to wear a mask. You know, it, mm-hmm. if, any, yeah. if anybody comes in for some reason and asks about it, you just tell them you have a health problem and that's good enough. But, you know, like that's, we're not taping off pews. We're not, not, we're not turning over holy water dishes and not letting you get holy water. These things mm-hmm. are, yeah. these are, these are insane ideas. You no, know, we are, we are, fighting against this 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 because it is right to fight against it we now are months along in this thing and we know that maybe in those early times yeah maybe we didn't you know maybe we did some of these these changes but uh because we didn't quite understand what the real agenda was we thought maybe we really did have to do with more about a virus than something else or whatever where we now know we now are at that point and it's like no we're we're not going to take this any longer we're going to fight and we're going to stand up for these rights. And, and yeah, like I said, it has to be balanced out with prudence, but, but your, you know, your priest needs your support. He needs to know that, you know, if he sees that you're all in this together, then he's going to be more willing to, to be bold and to be the leader that he's called to be by God than um, to be, to take an easier route out. I mean, because priests are men too. We're we're humans, you know, and mm-hmm. and so sometimes that easier route, especially you know, if priest is on his own and is just left up to do his own devices and his own decisions, you know, sometimes those easier things or those things that seem like compromise or whatever is not, you know, like you know, if he sees that the laity are, have his back and are emboldened and are going to support him through whatever, you know, a priest knows he wants to do good. He wants to really help souls. He wants to really be the leader, you know, but, you know, he's a human being. And so that little bit of support and that little bit of, we're all in this together, father, will go a long way in, in ensuring that, that we're doing the right things in churches, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, same thing with you own a business. I mean, you know, business is being shut down. That's, that's asinine. You know, what can you get away with, with your business? You know, like maybe we can, you know, do do certain things to keep our business open so we keep making money or maybe you know maybe it's time for you know oh i own a, a restaurant and they want to you know make us mandate that we have to you know have people wear masks well maybe i get maybe i talk to a whole bunch of restaurant owners in the area and we all go in together and like this kind of like form a group of support that all right hey you and all my fellow restaurant owners we know we're all on the same page now we're not we're tired and we're, we're no longer shutting restaurants down anymore. We're no longer forcing people to wear masks. If they wear one, great. If they, if they can wear one. If they don't, they don't. We're going to put in, you know, some money into a kitty and, you know, all of us. And then that way, you know, if we have 10 restaurants together and they found, find us a thousand dollars, you know, well, okay. That means it comes out of the kitty and now it's, you know, Hey, that means everybody paid a hundred bucks. Uh, and we'll just keep going you know like we're, we'll keep marching and you know there's enough of us joined together then they can't really effectively stop us be creative 
figure out ways to say enough is enough. I'm not going to destroy my business, my family, my livelihood, my, my life, my any of these things anymore. And, you know, and it's that type of out of the box thinking and, and boldness that will, will find you, you know, having certain allowances. Yeah. So. That's good advice. Stay strong with actively fighting back as much as you can, as, as you said, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and with that, you know, like you, you run into the person that, you know, is afraid or whatever, don't belittle them or mock them or something like that, because then you just, you, you undo the goodwill that you have in society. Mm-hmm. Most people, they might not agree with you being the thing that they would want to do. So if you're saying, well, you know, we need to, I'm not going to make us think about people wearing masks. You know, I'll put the signs up that they tell me I have to put up, but you know, from if you're coming into my store or my restaurants, I'm not going to ask you to wear a mask or force you to wear a mask. Well, if you just kind of like make us think about that to, to other customers or that might be on the other side of the coin, then they're going to get mad about it and try to fight against you or snitch on you or something like that. Or if you if you try to be calm and, and charitable in your tone and speech and everything, just explain like, listen, you know, this is my livelihood. This is my family. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to do what I can to make my ends meet so I can keep the lights on. And I know that some people want to make sure people wear masks. And some people are death against masks. And I, as the owner of the 7-Eleven here, I'm not the one that's going to force one way or the other. So, you know, I'm just here to offer you a service and you're free to come in or not. And people will be, even people that are, have contrary ideas to yours will be at least sympathetic to understand like he's, he's just trying to support his family, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, there are some jerks out there, but you know, but you can't fix everybody, but it's for the, for the most part, even those who are, who have a different understanding of things will be, um, at least somewhat sympathetic and, and more, uh, and react totally differently depending on how you approach that type of subject. As you mentioned, you know, there are some people that, you know, are, are really afraid of it. You know, they've been listening to the news and whatnot. And, you know, I'm, I'm particularly thinking of the elderly here. They might be thinking, okay, well, I, I see the, the scam behind all this, but you know, it still is a flu type of thing. And, you know, people my age die from the flu. So they, they have legitimate concerns about, you know, going out in public or what have you, and they're afraid. What type of advice or guidance can you give them as far as the need to go to mass and the sacraments? Does the Sunday obligation, you know, so oblige them and whatnot? My advice to them would be to, to treat it like they would any other year. So, you know, like in years past, have you skipped going to mass for the entire winter months? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the answer is yes to that, then, you know, I mean, it's news to me because you know, it really doesn't happen, you know, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, but I mean, chances are you, you still come to church in the wintertime, in the fall, in the spring, when, when people are getting sick and things like that, you know, then the, you know, you still come to church. If you're sick, you stay home, you know, you hope that other people, when they're sick, they stay home. But I mean, think about it in 2019. Like, what did you do in 2019? Come wintertime, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember. I I remember November of 2019. I got the flu, and I was sick as a dog. 
you know, I was really sick for a couple of weeks from that. But like, was that out of the ordinary? No, I had the flu. Like, that's what it is. You know, I, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple of days that I was really down where I didn't really do much. And then after that, it was like, okay, you know, I still feel pretty crummy, but I'm going to tough it out and do the things that I have to do and, and just go on with life, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that's what I did. And nobody batted an eyelash at that because that's normal. Now, all of a sudden, that changes, but you're not at any greater risk. You're not at any, you know, really h- higher uh, level of, of, of threat. You know, you, yeah, you're an elderly person and it is cold and flu season. You take some basic precautions, but, you know, if you're going to be skipping something, you know, I don't think church is where you start drawing drawing that line out you know like right. that's the thing that you need more than anything else so you need you need to be squared away spiritually because guess what yeah you could catch the flu and you could die and if you do that and <laughs> you know and you haven't been going to church like how spiritually prepared are you really for right that? yeah you know that's yeah, that's you know the argument could easily be made that this is a time where i should go to more masses rather than mm-hmm. less masses you know because you know if you're an elderly person living on their own you're probably still going to the grocery store. You're probably still going to get your hair cut. You're probably still going to your doctor's appointments. You, you know, those things haven't changed. Well, you know, if you can go to the grocery store, you can go to church. You can go get a haircut. You can go to church. You can go to get your nails done. You can go get the church, go to church. You can go, you know, to, to, uh, to your doctor's appointment. You know, like there's no reason why you couldn't go to church you know, with those things going on. And so, you know, that's, that's a legitimate, you know, reality to it. You're going to go to church. You're going to be there. You're going to pray. You know, we have to remember, you know, God has a say in whether we get infected or not, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you, you know, we're so, you know, if we're going to honor him, then, you know, he will take care of us. You know, if we get sick, it's because, you know, where as long as we're being prudent, you know, we're not licking the pews or something like that. You know, you, you know, if we if we get sick, we get sick. You know, if we don't, we don't. You know, but we're gonna put our trust in the good God, and because we would have gotten sick, or we wouldn't have not gotten sick either way. You know, like as long as we're not being imprudent. And I think that kind of r- r- reminder that that you know just how important sacraments are, just how important spiritual well-being is. You know, just how important these aspects are to, to, to taking care of our souls. And I think, so, you know, I can speak in regards to like our experience. So we have St. Gertrude the Great, one of the bigger um, traditional parishes. You know, we have four Sunday masses, you know, on a Sunday, close to 400 people showing up, one of the bigger churches in around really for traditional Catholicism. Uh, we have St. Hugh of Lincoln, where we're approaching 100 parishes on a Sunday. We have two masses on a Sunday. And then all of our missions, which vary from some very small in size to to even, you know, around 50 or so, you know, in size for, for an average appearance for, for those places. You know, we, all of those places, one of the greatest aspects to them for, for everybody that's come, because we've we've, you know, kept the ship going from beginning to end. We haven't wavered in, in our 
our continued encouragement for people to come to mass, come to regularly, come often, is that you know our our attendance has not really changed. We've actually in in at least in our churches and potentially in our missions have actually increased in number of people going to mass because we've brought them over from the Novus Ordo, we've brought them over from the SSPX, we've brought them over from the from the world, we've brought them over from various places because they see that calm hand guiding the ship, that regularity, everything like that, and they want that. And so we've had these increases coming. We've had them come over from other trad churches where they put more they were more quick to put restrictions and do kind of strange things and and you know that people are just like you know enough is enough you know, I'm going to go to a place that operates normally. Um, we've had all of those people come in to our church over the last year because of the fact that it is that huh, at St. Gertrude's church is going to continue as it always has. And our encouragement for you to come to the sacraments is going to continue as it always has. And that regularity and that steadiness and that unwavering message in that, that nothing's changed has built a lot of confidence in our people and and helped them to to do to do the same and to be really very spiritual our uh, you know we were talking about off air before we got on to recording mm-hmm. our daily mass attendance has increased um, this year than it had been for for years past because people real, started realizing no prayer is the most important thing we can be doing right now you know, I can't go and storm, you know, a Capitol building and expect any results to come from that clearly, you know, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I can pray and good things can come from my prayers. And, you know, that's the most active and most positive thing I can be doing. I can go to mass. I can do, you know, offer up these prayers and sacrifices for my, for my society, my country, my family, my, my health and all of these things. And that's the most positive thing I can be doing. So in our locations, we've increased, you know, and one of the best things is that it is each mass location that we have is like a sanctuary from the madness that is out there. You know, you show up, there's no tape, there's no distancing, there's no masks, there's no, you know, anything. And there never has been. And, you know, we still do social functions we still do everything and you know it's not like our church is rotting out from the inside from disease it's not why because this is a flu you know and that has created just a a confidence and a peace in the people that they know that no matter what goes on in the world out there their church is a sanctuary from that they come and they pray in peace they honor and love god in peace, they increase in virtue and sanctity by the aid of the sacraments and by the aid of spirituality and things like that. And those other things don't have any point, like right to be here. We are here to stand up and fight against them. And that gives them a lot of confidence and a lot of hope and everything. And that's what the church is supposed to do. It's supposed to be that beacon of what's right, of what's hopeful, what's 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 good, and what's peaceful. So that's what what we try to do yeah you know, that's a great way to end the episode father um is there is there anything else you'd like to say before we close it out um yes 
there is one really important thing I want to say before we close it out. Um, sort of like a, a public service announcement, as it were, for everybody. Sure. That uh, something that is really important that we run into on a regular basis. Obviously, it depends on where you are. But in general, most places, you know, all over the country, people need to be aware that hospitals, for the most part, are not allowing priests in to see people in the hospital. And a lot of times, they're actually not even allowing family in to see you. So, you know, we are... 10 months into this thing now and this hasn't really been something that's changed very much and so people need to know that uh, realistically honestly you need to give a long think before you go to the hospital i don't mean that as somebody being against modern medicine far be it you know we do need to take advantage of modern medicine where we can where it's prudent where it's good to do and you know but there are times now where you know, I think it's realistic to say, oh, well, you should go to the hospital or go to the ER or get checked out or get seen or something like that, where you have to think twice before you just come to that normal conclusion as you would have a year ago, because you have to think to yourself, if I get admitted, you know, am I going to be on my own? If I get admitted, is the priest going to be able to come and anoint me? And that should affect your decision-making process in some way. And it's sad that we have to be in that reality, but that's the reality we are in. So please, if you or a loved one or something like that gets sick and realizes that they're getting progressively worse and things like that, and it's probably going to be important to try to go to see a doctor or go to the hospital or something like that, Call the priest before it gets to that point where you, I need to go to the hospital now. That way he can come and take care of the spiritual side of it and make sure he get anointed or whatever it needs to be done before you go off to the hospital. That way, if you do end up locked into the hospital and nobody can get to you, at least we have the confidence. Well, we heard their confession. They're spiritually taken care of. They've gotten anointed. They've gotten what, what they needed to. And so they're like we have that confidence there um you know that that you know or the the reality that that you know if you're you know really you know like somebody is really really sick and needs to like go to the hospital but you know all aspects look like they they might be dying i mean let's again let's face it we're we're a year into this thing about now. And so people are going to have, people have died in the past year and this isn't, there's no end in sight to this thing. So people are going to die this year. It's just a mm-hmm. fact of life. And so not only the spiritual preparation for, for dying to be, to be made, but also like, you know, the decision-making to say, you know, maybe, maybe I don't want to go to the hospital and maybe I just want to stay home. Or maybe I want to go to the hospital, but maybe I now want to get dismissed from the hospital and return back home because I can't have my loved ones come in. My wife can't come. My husband can't come. My kids can't come. Whatever. You know, that is, people just need to be aware of it. 
I'm not telling you what to do other than you should, if possible, call a priest before you go to a hospital. If there's any expectation that you might get admitted and there might be something, there's any kind of remote threat to life or anything like that, uh, you know, definitely call the priest beforehand. But, you know, these other types of decisions, they're, they're really arbitrary. They're really subjective. They're really, you know, everything like that. But it, people, we deal with it on a regular basis. We have been turned away from going into more hospitals than I like to think about. I have been, I've had to spend multiple days fighting to get into other hospitals than I would like to think at. You know, about, you know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it is a reality and people need to understand that that's happening and so that they can make decisions based upon that and that, you know, it's a different mindset. It's just, and nobody's saying don't go to the hospital. What we're just saying is try to make sure that you take care of the important things around that possibility when you can. And also, don't be afraid to, to stand up for your rights and say, no, I'm, you know, I've been here long enough. I'm tired of the, this, the, you know, I, I'd rather be sick at home or I'd rather, you know, whatever. Or, you know, I'm, you know, I don't need to be continuing going through I'm just, you know, whatever. However, whatever decision you make, call your priest. We're happy to help you make decisions. We're happy to help you think it out when you end up in a situation with that. Call your priest. That was come give you a blessing or come, you know, before you go in for something or give you the sacraments if necessary, whatever. These things, that's the prudent aspect. But people need to know that that it's not like it was before where you get sick and you just go to the hospital and if things turn bad, well, you know, then we call father and he goes to the hospital. No, because once you're in there, there's the chance that we might not be able to get in there for you. And you know, there's no amount of climbing up the tree high enough that's going to get me in there. So, so there's just a reality. It's just an important thing to understand that it may impact the way you make a decision about what type of care or what level of care or where you go or what you or when you go or whatever it is. That's all. It's just a word of caution. Again, I'm not trying to scare people out of going and getting treatment at a hospital. I'm just trying to say, just be aware of, of this reality and and to to think about your spiritual well-being first and then then try to figure out the other parts from that where they fit in after that so yes it's a scary reality that that has to be like that but mm -hmm. at least at least our listeners and they can spread the word that everyone will be prepared you know for if that time ever comes yes yeah so that's that's all just trying to you know like i said and if there's questions about it then you shouldn't hesitate to to contact your priest and ask him like, "Hey, I'm I'm feeling really pretty sick. I've been this way. You know, I'm thinking about going to the hospital. You know, but I'm not sure if that's the right decision, or I'm not sure if I should get anointed or not before I go, or if I should get a blessing of the sick before I go, or whatever. You know, we're here to help kind of clear, help you make good decisions too. If you you know for those type of things, ultimately, you know, when or what, whether or not to go or whatever, those type of things are going to be your decision, but Certainly, you know, should I get, should the priest come out for should I, whatever, those type of things we're happy to help out with. So, yeah. And just, uh, just another reminder not to go down, uh, not to continue, continue down it too far. But just, I, I remember, I think Bishop Dolan mentioned in the past, but always 
have your funeral arrangements, you know, if you're getting older, always that's a, it's a good reminder to have all that and all that prepared, you know, if you have family members who might not yes. want to take you to St. Gertrude's or wherever, you know, to get the traditional mass. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's, always, a, that's always a good reminder. Again, you know, we tend to be, you know, seeing as we generally speaking like being alive, we tend to not want to think too much about us being dead, but it's inevitability for all of us. And so, yeah, so having the people in place to, with the, to have the funeral arrangements, sort of the, the, the church part of it, at least anyways, kind of set up that, you know, no, this is where I want to be buried from, that everybody knows that we're on the same page. I'm putting people that I can trust to execute my desires in charge of these things, that, uh, that we do those things too. Um, yeah, that's a good point as well. Um, you know, I don't think it necessarily connected particularly to COVID, but like you said, mm-hmm. just a good, good reminder in general that anytime we talk about these things, it's always a good reminder that having your, your, some basic ends of that taken care of so that if you do happen to go, that, that you can ensure that you get a good proper Catholic funeral and, and the prayers said for you as they, as they should be. Well, Father, thank you for your time, and may God bless you. And God bless you too. Thank you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.